Charles B. Crofton was by all accounts a success. The head of the New York Produce and Grain Exchange, he started out as just another rough and tumble Irish Catholic head from Brooklyn who worked his way up to three pea suits, a car with a driver, and a reserve table at the store club. By day, he made decisions that affected livelihoods and the economy. By night, he drank himself to anger in an elegant Long Island home as servants poured drink after drink into heavy crystal-cut glasses. He had children, and those children had children, and while Charles B. Crofton was able to provide remarkable educations and nice clothes, he couldn't quite figure out how to be a real person to the people he lived with, to his family. And in turn, they couldn't quite figure out how to be real people. One of his grandsons, Christopher B. Crofton, is also a success, although admittedly a less conventional one. When I moved back to Nashville after college in the early aughts, Chris was making the rounds, doing stand-up at bars and small venues, and hosting a radio show called Best of Bread, which I listened to religiously each day as I drove to my first real office job. His soft-spoken, almost befuddled, but rapid-fire musings on everything from John Denver to manatees made me laugh and helped distract me from the constant tension of figuring out what to do with my life while also trying to keep my mother from letting alcoholism destroy hers. A couple of years later, I saw Chris do comedy for the first time. My first time, not his. It was a stand-up gig at the end. I think he was opening for his own band, the Alcohol Stunt Band, and the tiny venue was packed. He walked through the audience like a balding ginger Jesus, making fun of everyone and everything. No one was off limits. Not the rockabilly girls with Betty Page cuts who hung out in the honky-tonks downtown. Not the old, hard-of-hearing, bell-mead blue hairs he served at his restaurant job. Not even Be Your Own Pet, the most holy and sacred teen wonders of mid-2000s Nashville. They were all put on the chopping block. But during his routine, he saved the sharpest blade for himself. I only knew Chris peripherally in those days through mutual friends, but... There were the stories of his week-long blackout drunks and couch crashing that lasted days. He would tell you himself that that time was hairy, exhilarating at points, but mostly just sad, overwhelming in the way that addiction is. You can't live with it, you can't live without it. Except now he does. And that axe that he used to use to hack away at himself has become something more like a surgeon's scalpel. His humor, his introspection and deflection more polished and steady. In the light of sobriety and California sunshine, Chris has figured a lot of shit out and realized that sometimes these problems of ours, well, they're passed down, like our hair color or our propensity for carrying weight in our thighs. And the only way to really get on top of them is to pull out the roots and examine the soil. I'm Rebecca Delius. This is Memento's Story. And today I'm talking to comedian, writer, musician, advice king, and my friend, Chris Crofton. Hi, Chris. Hi, Becky. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on this show. I'm really excited that you're here. I'm so excited that I'm here. I am. I'm serious. 
I'm glad we were chatting about it earlier, but it really feels like one of us is like in the hospital or in like a military camp or yeah. like. Uh, and when you say one of us, I can tell you mean that I am supposed <laughs> to be the one in the hospital. So don't just because you're younger than me doesn't mean I'm the one in the hospital. No, it's true. But, but yeah, we're in this. Okay, so I'll, I'm in Nashville visiting <laughs> yes. from Los Angeles. and Oh, um, wait, you live in L.A. now, right? I've been, lived in there for six years, and now I'm, well, I, that's all. So I'm living in Los <laughs> Angeles, and then I'm back here visiting, and so because I was losing my mind in L.A. from being in the same house for six months. Because you live kind of in a cabin in the woods. I live, yeah, I live in a little teeny house that's not well insulated, and there was a heat wave, and I'd already been in there for five months, and I've been hiking every day. And seeing bears and having fun. And then all of a sudden I ran into a wall and I just realized that I was needed to at least just take a road trip just to see something different. And it really did feel good. But I was just saying to you earlier, like, then you hit the next town and you realize that COVID has not disappeared just because you <laughs> drove drove away from one. Right. So, yeah, it felt like amazing. I felt like the first day being in air conditioning and blasting music and feeling like, you know, because in your car it feels like normal. Right. And there was no one else in there, so there's no mask, and you're just partying in the car, you know, and eating <laughs> snacks and stuff. And you're like, oh, man, it's 2008. And then... Uh, <laughs> what are your road snacks? Well, I'll tell you something. Uh, this is not at all relevant to this show, but <laughs> I can tell you that I didn't really think about what I was going to eat on the trip. <laughs> so I had two bags of rainbow trail mix from <laughs> Trader Joe's, which if anybody's familiar with rainbow, it's the one that has like half M&M's. Yeah. So it's bullshit. It's like eating M&M's. It's, uh, my funny joke about it is it's like eating a bag of M&M's the hard way. <laughs> so I had two big bags of that. Like, you know, probably supposed to be, I think it says 12 servings on each one or something. Yeah. And I had two bags of peanut butter filled pretzels from yeah. Trader Joe's. Yeah. And that was pretty much all I ate the for whole, the whole trip. You didn't stop and get like fast there food? There was nowhere. Or... To, I hate fast food and I didn't, there was nowhere. To, I look, I almost went to Wendy's once and I saw all the employees outside smoking <laughs> and they looked like juggalos and I didn't want any of their food. <laughs> and I felt like they would probably spit on my food for some weird misguided revenge about COVID that they didn't even understand themselves. <laughs> like, why would you spit on that guy's food? He didn't start COVID. I don't care. I'm mad. So I didn't want to eat their juggalo food. So I ate <laughs> Starbucks because they have like, you know. Their shit's like uniform. It you comes are out. so bourgeoisie. You like love Starbucks. Yeah. You won't live in Madison. You can only live in Sylvan Park. Ever since I got sober, <laughs> I'm pretty fucking bougie, it turns out. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. I want to live a long time now. <laughs> I used to think I wanted to die. That seems the opposite because I feel like if I stopped drinking, I would want to die immediately. No, 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 no. <laughs> no. Once you get real into it, you're like very like living is... Uh, you start hiking and... Yeah. You get real into like... I mean, because I was really into dying before. Like, I thought Jim Morrison was, like, the model. Mm -hmm. You know, die when you're 27 right. and confused. <laughs> you know, I feel so bad for people like that now. Because he didn't know anything when he died. No. He was a total idiot when you're yeah. 27. I think about people who are, like, pop stars who get really rich when they're, like, 22 years old. And then we wonder why their lives completely, like, degrade in front of our eyes. I mean, can you imagine being that young and just having, like, unlimited funds and how, no, what a monster a, you would be? Yeah, because know? most people, I mean, I, there's an there are exceptions where they're mature 22-year-olds, but that's a very, that's a very, that's no, an exception. you're feral, you know? Yeah, so, like, I feel bad for all the people who die when they're 27 just because they're all got crazy thoughts in their heads about rock and roll and cigarettes and stuff and then they die <laughs> it's not fair because they don't figure out that you know that, that hiking is nice yeah they so, don't get that whatever yeah so i i do i am snobby about food 
<laughs> and I and I like I refused to eat Juggalo Wendy's, <laughs> and and so I ate these snacks. Okay. That's for the whole way. And I had also one double smoked bacon. Oh. Starbucks sandwich. You're saying that's not good food, Chris. Well, no, it's not, but it's like at least it's from like it comes in a package. Like they didn't make it there. <laughs> like you know what I mean? It got mailed from some headquarters or something. <laughs> like it just makes me feel better. I don't want the locals making my food. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Unless the locals are in Williamsburg or Venice Beach. Twelve South. There's only a few places where I want Urban Grove. The locals handling my muffins. Okay kind of rethinking having you on but (laughs) don't do that right at the beginning i haven't even talked about anything yet okay okay we can cut that's the fluff that can all go none of that's going to be in anything you were very gracious to come on you're the biggest celebrity i've had on the show yet so so. i'm I'm sorry (laughs) no but i i was really excited to have you on because stop saying was i'm a (laughs) big I'm a big fan of I'm a big fan of the Advice King column that you do. And I'm a big fan of the letters that you write, poetry mailbox letters, all that stuff is really good. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. So I'm stoked to have you on and to talk about uh, I can tell that's why you keep putting me down. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever heard of negging? Yes, I have. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well I remember that guy, that (laughs) show with mystery with the fucking top hat. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? I do, yeah. Yeah, remember that show? I do remember. Where's that that guy? I, I He's in L.A. You've he's, seen him. He's like a proto... He's a, He was a juggalo. Or no, he was more like a steampunk. He had like <laughs> yeah. goggles. Oh, yeah, he had yeah, like yeah. a fucking velvet top hat with goggles on it. There's definitely like a Venn diagram of like steampunk and people who are like pickup artists. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I know about negging. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like you okay. go up to someone and you're like, yeah. And you're like, you're dumb, but it's flirting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm glad that you're here, and I am interested to hear about what you brought today. So can you tell me what you brought today? So my father's father, my grandfather, he left, well, I guess my father inherited and then gave to me these Tiffany gold, like real gold pen and pencil set. Oh, wow. And one is a pen, like a, like, I don't even know how to use, like it's like I can't, oh, it's a, oh. see, it's like a oh. pen, like a. It's like a ink, like you have to put ink in it, right? Yeah, I think you have to put an ink thing, but it's like, I don't know how to describe it. It's like the kind of, it's like a calligraphy looking. Uh-huh. So I've never used it. Um, oh, and it makes like a squeaky sound. It's a when screw. You... I didn't realize it's a screw on. And then the pen sole, I think, is like a regular, you know, autom- automatic. I don't know. Yeah, and it has an eraser. It's so funny that Tiffany has, a, has an eraser. Wow. And like, the eraser's been used. Yeah, it's like flat. The eraser's like been used so much that it's flat as a pancake. So my grandfather apparently used this. Now, I think it's telling that I call him my father's father. Yeah. Why is that? Well, I kind of do that with all my relatives because we really were not close with our extended family. Okay. So I'll always be like my dad's sister. Everyone's always like, you mean your aunt? And I'm like, well, I mean, I guess so. But I mean. Right. You're like my mother's daughter. You, You mean your sister? Yeah, I do that with all my relatives. Like, I'm mm. always like, my father's sister's son or whatever. You know, it's like, just like your cousin? You know, it's like, oh, yeah, I guess so. So how do you know it's from Tiffany? Does it have that engraved on it somewhere? It says it. I also know oh, because my dad's father was rich as all get out. <laughs> That's really beautiful. Yeah, it's, I've, I've probably worth at least a million dollars. Probably somewhere <laughs> between... 2,000 and a million. So you said you've never used it? No. Okay. 
I'm curious. You said you've never met your grandfather before, right? No, he died in 1965 or something like that. Mm -hmm. My father was the first child of his second marriage. And so he was already older. He died when my father was 20. Mm -hmm. Oh, so I know how old that is. He he means he died in 1961. Mm -hmm. He was the head of the grain exchange in New York Mm -hmm. when there was a grain exchange, which was like the stock exchange, except separate. For farmers? I don't really know. (laughs) I mean, is that literally what it is? I I don't know. It was when, for some reason, maybe farming was such a big part of the American economy at that time that they had their own separate exchange. And my father, this guy, well, his name's Charles Mm -hmm. um, Borromeo, which is a Catholic saint, because heavy Catholicism all over my whole family tree. Mm-hmm. Back when Catholicism was dead serious <laughs> and ruined people's lives. <laughs> like Roman Catholic kind yeah, of Yeah, back when they yeah. said the mass in Latin, in Latin yeah. and threw around more smoke and wore good costumes <laughs> and it really was effective, you know. By the time Catholicism hit like the suburbs where I was, it was the least inspiring thing. Like I probably would have been down for I I mean I was impressionable, yeah. but they, but Catholicism by 1974 made no impression on me at all. It just was boring. Right. But back then... It was kind of scary in its original form. Yeah, but it was inspiring, too. Like, mm-hmm. there were the outfits, like, and the Latin and mm-hmm. the smoke. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, it was like a rock concert. If you, <laughs> It was like a Marilyn Manson show. Yeah, I was going to say, it's pretty goth. So, yeah, they, they were, like, seriously Catholic, and I have very little information as a result. Like, Catholicism leads to no one telling anybody about anything. So that means that you receive this gift, but you don't really know. I mean, what do you know about your grandfather? That I mean, he was rich. Okay. <laughs> but do you know anything else? Do you know what kind of person he was? I mean, was he... Was he was he... an alcoholic, but he was also apparently really witty. My mother met him. She said he was very nice, but he also could be very mean when he had drinks. And he usually had drinks every night yeah. after he got back from New York. He lived in Long Island yeah, in Garden City or Hempstead. And he was a big deal. And he came home and I think he carried himself like a big deal all the time, even mm-hmm. to his kids. You know, mm-hmm. he, And he also came from, as usual back then, you know, you could start out as like an errand boy and become head of right. the stock exchange. You know, it's like. <laughs> Is that what he did? Yeah, did... pretty much. Yeah. His father was, um, fuck, I forget what his father did. My dad's father's father. So that's my great grandfather. They were born in Brooklyn. Irish. Yeah. I found out more about Irish. I found out a ton about Irish families and why the men are so alcoholic. Yeah? Why, why is that? Well, because, this is, blows my mind, and this is from a therapist who gave me, gave me some PDF of, <laughs> <laughs> and so when I finally opened it three years later, yeah. um, after I figured out how to open it, um, because I'm 50, it was a PDF about Irish families from a handbook for therapists. Like specifically how to deal yes. with somebody. And apparently this book had family. every wow. ethnicity. So I was like, how oh is this God. appropriate? You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I don't get it. Yeah. Did your therapist have like, were they named like Hans uh, like, or the Goebbels or something? No, I, yeah, I didn't. I, as far as I know, he was not a eugenicist. But there yeah. was, there was, I mean, I think he was, this book was published in like 1994. And it's like, yeah, it's a handbook for therapists to know what to expect from every race. Wow. Like, do you it, still have this PDF saved? Did you somewhere, did you print it out? <laughs> no, but it was but it was right on and it had oh. a lot of good information about Irish people. And so what did you learn? Well, in Ireland, men were not allowed to own property for 
like a thousand years because the English wouldn't let them. Mm, okay. And the English were Protestants and the Irish were Catholics. And the Protestants sent spies into Ireland disguised as regular Irishmen. So the Irishmen, they couldn't reveal that they were Catholic to these Protestants. Irish men were forced to be silent. They were basically like castrated, not literally, <laughs> but, you know, they couldn't own property. Right. I didn't really get what you hear that, you know, like, oh, yeah. yeah. Like they were disenfranchised. Seems like a long time ago, but it's like Irish people were majorly oppressed by the English, mm -hmm. like in a very real, and I didn't realize how concrete a way. So the men really, they were basically not real. They were not considered real men because they couldn't own property so they couldn't own anything so their wives basically ran everything while they drank themselves to death out of sadness or not to death but male alcoholism in ireland seems pretty obviously tied to the depression associated with being oppressed and the women run the house but catholicism makes it so the man is still the head of the household right so it's like this sets up this resentment because the woman has to keep deferring to the man, even though the man's out at the pub. Right. And she has to do all the work. Right. And that makes the man more ashamed. Mm -hmm. Because he knows his wife resents him for not being able to own property. You see these things like, you know, you'll read, oh, people weren't owned, allowed to own property. And you're like, well, I guess, I mean, it's just so right. antiquated or it sounds yeah, so yeah. distant. Like, who, who gives a shit? Who cares? Like, right. I don't own <laughs> yeah, any property. Yeah, and everybody right. respects me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Which, you know. Yeah, I mean, I get a decent amount of respect. And I own very little. So so you're saying that sort of generational trauma carried over to the new world. Like, There's a huge amount of sadness yeah, okay. in Irish men, and they do not <laughs> want to talk about it. Yeah. And it's not just like one of them. Even if you wanted to talk about it, it's just passed down. Your father tells you nothing about his pain. You tell your kids nothing. You know, it's just yeah. a, it just goes on and on. Yeah. My dad knows nothing about his father. The man who owned these pens is defined by having a decent sense of humor, being self-made, becoming incredibly wealthy, yeah. but also absorbing so much pain himself and conveying none of it to anybody, telling no one about his own parents. It just creates a situation where my father doesn't tell me anything, because partly because he doesn't know anything. Yeah. He has no sense of place. He has no sense of history. That hurts your self-esteem somehow. Yeah, Like the idea that his father was so emotionally ill-equipped to deal with kids, but still had them because that was Catholicism tells you have kids. So back right. then it was dead serious. Like you have to have kids. You have to. I mean, that's your part of your Catholic... It's a sacrament or whatever. Yeah, it's like... Something. Like yeah. It's a heavy duty responsibility. So these people who had no way of communicating emotionally had children. And then the children were just relentlessly told to shut up or shuttled to the side or given to... In my dad's case, raised by actual servants. Yeah. So... My father, his father was just like a, it's a lot of like theater to being a father in Catholic families. What do you mean by that? Well, that everyone defers to the father because that's the Catholic right. Christian model. Oh, right. Yeah. Whether or not anyone respects him. So it sets up this sort of like gaslighting scenario where everyone has to, including the mother, my dad would ask his mother, like, what was dad like? And she'd say, well, he was the greatest provider he was a great man because his wife was the first generation Irish woman who was the nanny for his first wife. So my father's father married the nanny after his first wife died. Mm. My dad's father, the man who owned these pens, was married to a woman and they had four children and only one lived, Mary, from that first marriage. Mm -hmm. 
and she died in childbirth. Uh, the, because, the mother. Yes, because she was Rh negative, or I, I don't, that's what my father said. Oh right, yeah. Now I think they give you like injections or something so if she, you have that. Yeah, yeah. So she'd already had two children die, like shortly after they were born. Wow. I don't, and my father doesn't know whether they were stillborn or whether they right. lived maybe even to be a few months old or whatever. But they both died. No, three, three. I think one of them may have lived like a few years. Then she has this one child, Mary, who's probably eight or nine years old and this nanny this irish nanny's taking care of her Mm -hmm. then the woman gets pregnant again and i only say the woman because we know nothing about this woman this my dad's father the man who owned these pens never talked about this woman again they had silver they had a whole silver set in their house when they were younger and they never understood whose initials were on it and it was the initials of his father's first wife oh wow the man who owns these pens (laughs) i keep saying that (laughs) because that's my connection it's like so weird I didn't get any love from this man. My father didn't get any love from this man. He got support from this man. But this man affected my life. This man affected his kid's life tremendously. They all are like like kind of narcissistic because they grew up in this incredibly wealthy household. But then it was all based on this man. And then he disappeared. Well, he died. He disappeared. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing is he was a magician. And (laughs) he was an amateur magician and he did, this was really a disappearing act that went wrong. Um, So he like loomed large and then he died. But since he didn't convey any information to anybody, it was like everyone was just left with this sort of, they knew they were the the sons and daughters of a celebrity in their town in Long Island. Right. Because he was the head of the grain exchange. There's a picture of him in one of the... They, his sister just recently found a picture of him on the floor of the stock exchange in one of the Ken Burns documentaries. Oh, my gosh. He had a sense of humor. Apparently, he was a fun person when he wasn't mad. When he wasn't drunk or Yeah, mad. he wasn't drunk all the time. He was just drunk at night. You know, he just came home and drank a bunch of scotch yeah. and then got really mean and then he went to bed. And then he started the whole day over and then he just died and everybody was like... And then all the money went to my father's mom, my grandma. Your grandmother. Well, I did know a little bit. Yeah. But the problem with her was she was was almost like the way they talk about now, like how it's not a fair playing field. Like when she was an Irish immigrant who was 20, whatever, and she married this like 50 year old stock exchange celebrity. There was that much of an age difference between them. Something like that. Or, you know, enough of an age difference and enough of a status difference that she never would criticize him no matter what. Sure. Because he saved her life. In her opinion, she grew up in Roscommon. Ireland, which if I mention that my relatives are from Roscommon, people from Ireland are like, I'm sorry. (laughs) For real. It's like deliverance. It's like deliverance town in in Ireland. I mean, I've had so many Irish people be like, whoa. (laughs) I'm like, my God. Right. So she came from like deliverance town and met the fucking cigar smoking stork club going wow palm beach yeah be- palm beach club member my, my 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 father's father was rich right servants the whole works she won the lottery kind of but you know and she she was a sweet woman but she just didn't have much self-esteem in the face of that yeah. so she was just endlessly thankful and she wouldn't talk honestly about the terrible scenarios that happened in their house because of alcohol right because mary the only child that survived from that first marriage mm-hmm. She became a terrible alcoholic and she committed suicide when she was not till the early 70s. So I actually met her. I, yeah. don't, I was like one or right, something. Right, right. She gave me a teddy bear 
her father, because of his inability, this this man who had these pens, <laughs> you know, right, yeah. he 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 did not have the emotional wherewithal to deal with. He couldn't deal with the fact that Mary was a living reminder of his first marriage and mm-hmm. all that tragedy, yeah. three dead children and, and, and then the mother dying. Right. And the silverware from that marriage with the with that woman's initials carved into the silverware. Right. That nobody at that time understood. He never explained whose initials those were. That's and those wild. were his first wife's initials. What was the time difference between when his first wife died and then he remarried this, you know, hillbilly from Ireland? Right away. Like okay. right away. Okay, like she yeah. died and then not very long afterward. There's n- no evidence that he was having an affair with her like while the woman was alive. But yeah. the woman is all I can call her, which just blows my mind too. I mean, my father, since since his father was in Palm Beach... I've seen pictures of him. I mean, he went to the store club for real. We have like a matchbook from the store club. I mean, he went to the, you know, the store club in New I York? Do, yeah, I do. Got pictures of my dad's dad, like a cartoon 1950s businessman, yeah, like just like living every and, bit like, of the life. pants and like, The yeah. whole works. Like, yeah, those pants that you pull up yeah, like halfway like, to your, almost to your <laughs> like egg nipples. Yeah. yeah like, which, I don't know where those went because they were really flattering if you were fat because you could just act like your stomach was part of your legs or something. Like that, where did that go? I don't know where that went. I love a high-waisted pant, I'm for real. You could be as fat as shit and just pull your pants right up over the whole thing and just say my waist is like up here underneath my chest, Um, which would be handy. Um, But I mean, yeah, all the pictures of my father's, all my pictures of my grandfather, Charles Borromeo Crofton. Wait, say his name again. Charles Borromeo is a saint. Right. Borromeo. Can you spell? B-O-R-O-M-E-O, I think. Okay. And I'm named Christopher Brian Crofton because of his initials. And that's why I was given these pens. Wow. Okay. CBC is on these pens. And that's the reason I'm named CBC. I mean, that's the reason I'm called Christopher <laughs> Brian Crofton because my he, my dad wanted to name me Charles like him. But my mom yeah. said no. No. She was, I mean, apparently she was like, no way. I don't know what she has against his name. But. <laughs> it would have been cool if you'd gotten Borromeo, though. Maybe, you know, I guess so. Yeah, like maybe in the 90s. It would have been cool to say to like some girl I met in a bar in the 90s. When were you given these pens? Like how old were you when you were actually think, presented with these pens? I think 18 when I graduated from high school. And was it sort of like a ceremonial thing? Like, okay, like okay, son, okay, Chris. I think so. Yeah. My dad has always been sad about, he would say when he gave these to me, for example, like, he wasn't given them in any kind of ceremony. You know, he wasn't given much from his father personally. So he was like, well, I'm going to give you these, but like, it's almost like it, it, it the lack of emotionality, or that's probably not, the, that's probably not even a word, <laughs> but in a family just ruins everything if, if, because he didn't feel, he felt like silly giving them to me. He's like, almost, he was yeah. like, here's this thing I'm giving you. And it means a lot to me, but I also no, this stuff's bullshit because no one ever did it for me, which means it must be bullshit. Like, right. if you don't get any ceremony in your life, you start to think all ceremony is horseshit. Like, right. Because he, you didn't get it. He couldn't be emotional because he had never been taught how to be emotional. Yes, and so yeah. he decided emotions were for the birds. I mean, right. Because that's the only response to try and keep yourself... You can't just be sad all the time. So you're like, you know what? I don't need any emotion. Yeah. I didn't get any. And emotion, I think, is for the birds. But that is not true. And you mm-hmm. can't raise a family with everyone bottling up their emotions. You can, but they come out, and when they come out, they don't come out. If you don't ever give your kid a a, a set of pens in a way that is genuine and yeah. really convey to them that you're 
care about them, then then it's hard to explain. No, I get it. It's because it, it feels like part of the whole weight of like inherited items is this sort of tangible connection to your past. And even if you didn't know that person, there's something about it that's supposed to tell you who they were, right? You look at these and you're like, here are these fancy pins in this Tiffany box that my rich grandfather owned and that he obviously had style and he had taste. And here's this connection to him, even though I didn't know him. And when that sort of passing on as devoid of any pomp and circumstance, you sort of start to lose, I think, the meaning behind it, you know? Then it just becomes like something you could have found at Southern Thrift or, you know, in an antique store or something. Yeah, and it's really significant. I think it's interesting you said that, sort of going back to this PDF, you know, the idea of, like, not being able to own land or not having any sense of history which i think history is is often rooted in like a geographical place and often rooted in like okay like my family's from this area and we own this hut or whatever and all of that is sort of passed down that that sense of place and history and you're saying like without having that there is no sense of common history there is no sense of belonging to something you know and in some way though like these pens do make you belong to something and to someone you know yeah, I wish there was more. I mean, I think. That, Do you have anything else from him, or is this it? Oh, uh, there was a watch. There became a dividing up the belongings of somebody who was simultaneously so important to a family with four kids and unknown to them as well. Yeah. Like became like pretty contentious. I think a little bit. Like there was a little bit of. I mean, you know, we don't have much. Mm-hmm. And also, my grandmother, since. She was so young when she married him, she lived off of his money for the next 40 years without working. Mm -hmm. So he was wealthy and there would have been money, but none of the money made it to anybody else because, and I'm not saying that because I'm mad. I just mean (laughs) that that also there was just like this, we used to be rich thing, but there was no, they really just ended up kind of with this sense of self-importance that, that dragged them down because the rest of their life was harder. Like they got this really big self-esteem. They had a huge amount of self-esteem when they were young and then it eroded gradually for the rest right. of their lives. You guys were like, it was like the Royal Tenenbaums. Kind of. <laughs> yes. Except we didn't get a giant fun mansion <laughs> yeah. with lots of hijinks in it. We got a sort of smaller, we got a kind of yeah. decent sized house with lots of um, silence and explosions <laughs> of rage. So both of your parents are still alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you see, so you still talk to them. I mean, you're staying with them. They live in Nashville. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you're staying with them right now. Was your dad ever able to find some sense of letting his emotion out and being honest and sensitive and sincere with you and your and your siblings? Yes. Yeah. I think the problem for my father was he was actually a very sensitive person. Mm. Naturally. Like yes. he's wired that yes. way. And I think that really he got run over the hardest by all the tragedy, by the fact that his father died in his arms, the Mm. fact that that was a man he gave mouth to mouth to that he didn't even really know. That was the most intimate he'd ever been with his father was mouth to mouth. You know, that's tragic, deep stuff, you know? Yeah, Yeah, and uh, (laughs) yeah, it's, I mean, like, he really wanted to connect. He likes to connect with people. And he really wanted to connect with his father, but his father was just not available for that because his father had never, he didn't know how to do it. It's just the damage that happens when, you know, the old days, like there was just, when I said theater, I just mean there's so much like play acting involved in a family. Like the father's the 
the head of the family and the mother just needs to be meek, even though the mother's not meek and might be stronger than the father, but she's never allowed to be. Or There's just all this resentment that builds up, and then there's no discussion of it. And then in this case, the man died, so they never got answers. Like, they really don't know, except for that he was rich. And so I can look at these pens and say, he was rich, you know? Yeah. He was rich, and he was, I guess he was charming, people say. Um, but he was also very mean when he when he was drunk. Do you um, keep the like? Do you have these pens? Are they? Do they stay in the house in Nashville, or do you have them with you in California? No, I kept them. I, I never knew what to do with them because they, yeah. they, they're too fancy to use, right? Really, but I I think in this case they are a, a reminder of my disconnection more than a reminder of my connection. Yeah, like I don't know if for this podcast that's the right kind of discussion <laughs> you know i think it's whatever kind of discussion you want it to be i mean now that i'm talking about it i want to talk about it more it, but there's a lot of stuff i haven't figured out about this stuff sure. and there's a lot of stuff my father that's the other thing is this stuff doesn't go away no my father still can't stop i mean this is his father dropped him off at college and my dad got out of the car and he drove away and he didn't hug him or say anything to him at all well and then, like, he was at camp and, like, his parents would come visit in, like, a Rolls Royce or something or some giant car. I don't think it was a Rolls Royce, <laughs> but some Packard or something, you know, and they were always late. My dad yeah. waited all day for them, you know. Right, like, classic. And they, like, get out of the car and, like, pat him on the head and go away. You know, I mean, he yeah. just had no... And my father was, like, into opera and... My father was a weird kid, from what I understand. <laughs> he listened to opera when he was, like, 11. He was really intellectual and right. and he was... I think he also was probably, I don't know... I think he was probably a disappointment, or I bet he was something my father's father, the man who owned these pens, <laughs> to bring it back to why we're all here today, uh, these goddamn pens, and it's not even pens, it's, it's one a, pen and one it, pencil. It's um, a writing utensil these set. These fucking pens that have haunted me, um, I just realized, because of this goddamn podcast, I'm going to melt these down after memento mori. Make them into a nugget you yeah, can wear on a chain. these things, it turns out, are a millstone around my neck. Uh, I had no idea. Thanks a lot. I used to just think they were pens and pencils. Now I'm, I'm another thing to talk about in therapy. So I went on this podcast, and it turns out that I know why I have that dream about the Rockettes, except they're all pens and pencils that are gold, and they all have monster faces. <laughs> and they're all lined up and kicking me in the ass. Spewing ink everywhere. Yeah, they're all kicking me in the ass and coughing up black. That's ink that they're coughing all over uh, anyway. So. To what extent were you raised the same way? In a very like emotionless. The same. The same. Okay. He tried, but he didn't have anything. To, if you don't give anyone any sense of place when they're a kid, then they ha have no self-esteem in a way. So what did you talk about with your parents then? Um, He mostly read books and was in his office a lot yeah. and listened to classical music on headphones and occasionally everybody would make noise and he'd tell him to shut <laughs> up. So I really didn't like him. You know, I didn't like him yeah. when I was younger. But then he'd be nice sometimes, like he would take us out to get candy, but <laughs> he was like pretty traumatized. Yeah. I think he was, P he had PTSD and yeah. I think he still does and I don't think that they even knew how to talk about it back then so sure. he didn't know what happened to him. Do you know a lot about your dad, your dad's life at this point? Yeah, but without knowing what his father was, where he was coming from, my father's always been confused as to whether his father liked him or didn't like him or was a good man or a bad man. 
because also the wealth screwed everything up because people worshipped him just because he was a success. Yeah. And another thing is the biggest problem with people who deep down have self-worth problems is they don't reveal it to the people in the public. They reveal it. They dump it all on their family. Sure. So that, I think, is the sort of the define like his father i think was this spectacular and probably really fun person but then he came home and let all of his my dad never loved me rage out on them after he had scotch because that was the place so i think for my father that was a little bit of like what we got too like he he was basically depressed because of all the crap he had to see when he was growing up and all the times he was ignored yeah but i think he was really a fun guy. I think my father would have been a lot of fun to interact with for a, a father. Yeah. If that was on the menu for... It, and that's the thing is I don't think his father made a decision, oh, I don't like him or I do like him. I do right. think that maybe he would have related more to him if he was like... A father like that might have... The more you act like a little soldier, probably... Like the least yeah. the least sensitive kid probably... Right. Like he has a brother that was a little more like, I want to play golf and be a stockbroker. Yeah. And that he... You know, my he father was a little that. more complicated. Yeah. And that's not, <laughs> Uncle John, if you listen to this, that's not a shot at you. <laughs> uh, it's just that my father was difficult for everybody because he was weird. Right. And I'm grateful because that's why I'm weird. Yeah. And my mom's weird too. <laughs> and my mom just had much more demonstrative parents. So she's more. Yeah. She comes from love. She feels like she comes from love. Yeah. I don't think my father knows where he comes from, you right. know, and I don't think his father before him knew where he came from. So it becomes hard to express what you just d- didn't get. So yeah, make sure you make sure you <laughs> hug your kids once in a yeah, while. Just hang out with them. Try and connect <laughs> with them. It means a lot. You know, it means a lot. If you don't if you don't connect with them, your kids kind of like don't have much to go on as far as self esteem. I, I don't think. Or they d- it really helps to feel like it's hard to even say. I mean, it's a long. So you don't have kids. No, and it's connected. Okay, that was my next question. Yeah, I mean, my father had a hard time relating to us. And his father obviously had a hard time relating to yeah. him, him. I think modern life, if there is an advantage to it, it's that people know more stuff. You know, I mean, it was really like there just wasn't a, a, a conversation. It was hard to have a conversation about this kind of stuff back then, even if you were a sensitive person. Right. And then if you throw in the throw in like that your father was some guy who worked in a boiler room who came home and hit you with a strap or whatever you know it's right. like even which right. i get the feeling yeah. that's the what happened to my dad's dad yeah i get the feeling my dad's dad was probably an alcoholic i don't know this for sure sure but i think he was like a shop foreman mm-hmm. at a i'm gonna make this boiler factory is that <laughs> is there a, i'm sure that's like most of the i think mostly the economy was all boilers back then but I trains think that, and boilers i might have made that up <laughs> yeah so yeah i'm pretty sure his father was an evil uh boiler factory owner like uh, what is a boiler i don't even know what a no boiler idea. is it's what drove everything back then you had to have at least seven boilers some backup boilers <laughs> Now there's that's what they call potatoes, don't they, or something? Or is that a baker? What do you, what kind of potato? Isn't there a boiler potato? You boil it before you bake it. I okay. Anyway. So yeah, so I didn't have kids. I mean, it's just partly because. What was that fear of like I'm, I don't know how to parent because parenting, <laughs> nobody's done it. Right parenting so looked far. difficult. Yeah. Let's put it that yeah, way. Yeah, parenting yeah. looked very difficult. Parenting obviously was difficult for his father. Yeah. Because his father's most notorious interactions were with his daughter from his first marriage he could not process her 
because he probably, and I think this is not a leap, I think this is probably correct, she was too much for him. He could compartmentalize everything except for her. Yeah. And he took it out on her. He raged at her, like very dramatically and violently. And that was what my father had to deal with growing up, was just these horrible confrontations between Mary and her father at the dinner table when they were both drunk. Yeah. And my father said to me, that he pretended he was not from this earth and that he was a robot during those conversations, wow. during those arguments, so he wouldn't have to feel that thing. Wow. And unfortunately, him trying to explain that pain to me when I was younger was too much for me. I couldn't, so I became a robot because yeah. I couldn't hear. I didn't know how to, but he was desperate to tell somebody. Yeah. You know? So it was like, how old were you when he's telling you this? Oh, very young. Yeah. He didn't know. He didn't know any better. Right. I mean, I find that hard to believe. So that aspect of his personality has always been a stick. I mean, I will, at my worst, I'll say he's an asshole <laughs> for that. But when I really think about it, I just think if you're raised with zero interaction from your parents and then you have children, you probably will just talk to that child like it's another person. Right. And that's what my dad did. He was like telling me about his depression and his, he had very, I think he had PTSD from all, I know he did. And so anyway, he just didn't have a, he didn't know how to hide it or. Yeah. He didn't understand the age appropriateness no, of, of when to lay that on you. So did you guys ever have follow-up conversations as you got older when you were able to sort of process and understand that? Like, have you. Talked? Yes. Yeah. A little bit. I mean, but it, it's, it's a lifelong it's a lifelong thing because it kind of like went on. My father had that dynamic till he was 20, yeah. you know? And then on top of that, he had the Catholicism thing, which sold him the idea that he's supposed to not have sexual marriage. And my mom, that whole generation was like, a lot of them were waiting till marriage to have sex, which I think which brought up why, its own problems. And so that's why they married someone they'd known for like two months or whatever, you know? They did. My mom and dad did <laughs> know each other. Like, it was like... My dad's like rich kid self was still happening then. Like yeah. he had a Mercedes and stuff. And so like my mom was like, I think got a false impression that he was totally normal. And then like on their honeymoon, he was like, you know, listening to classical music on headphones and didn't want to go swimming. And she was like, oh, uh, so you know, I mean, there's like, she's like, at least we can have sex. Why now. are you reading that book? On me- the, why are you on our honeymoon reading the meaning of death book? It's really thick. Um, yeah, I'll finish. I'm just going to finish this book before I swim. I mean, he, you know, she found out that he was m- way more complicated uh, but he, my mother, okay, my mother was just quick, this would be something you could edit out <laughs> if you want, but my mom was dating a guy named Dick Shock uh, <laughs> when she met my father. Oh, he, he, she was engaged to Dick Shock, and Dick Shock was a DJ. Of course he was. And he was like, but he was kind of a boring DJ. He wasn't like Wolfman Jack or anything. He was like some kind of like, ee, that was Johnny Mathis <laughs> coming, up, coming up with the weather or whatever. Yeah. But... My mom went to Newton College, an all-girls Catholic college in, in Boston. Mm-hmm. My dad went to Holy Cross when it was all boys. I mean, this is just a terrible model. Like, <laughs> what kind right. of life is this, you know? Yeah. And if you grow up in that, and you don't, there were no, like, rock and roll magazines. There was no Rolling Stone magazine back then. There was no <laughs> way out. You were like, this yeah. is it. I guess I, I mean, <laughs> right. my mom wanted to be a nun. My dad's other girlfriend, the only other girlfriend he had before my mom, who he married, became a nun oh my god so i mean like i would have become a priest because they were the rock stars of you know that like the priest was like 
the Catholic Mass was like REO Speedwagon of 1961 <laughs> or whatever. So, I mean, there was really no way. It was very hard to find a way out. Like, yeah. if you ask my parents about, like, the beat generation or, like, hippies or whatever, they're like, right. I don't know. I guess we per- were peripherally aware of that. Right. But they were in confession. Yeah, there's like a whole other life that happened back then. And that, that was like, that's just been marketed by baby boomers to the point where, you know, I mean, nobody was a hippie. They're like 12. Uh, <laughs> there's like, you know. They were like juggalos. And they there were was dicks. Maybe two- they were trust fund dicks. Like, you know, every single one of them, you would be the airport and you'd see somebody wearing like the Americana outfit you see now. Like someone dressed up like a totally. cowboy, you know. <laughs> totally. But back totally. then it was even worse. It was like paisley and tie-dyed <laughs> pants and whatever. You know, you'd be like, what a dick. You're yeah. like, do they live in the gulch? I mean, yeah, John Sebastian <laughs> looks charming on, on film at Woodstock. But I mean, if you saw that in real life, you'd be like, that fucking trust fund piece of shit. Yeah. Um, at I least I would. I think that's right. <laughs> but I think that about everybody. Everybody who even looks remotely happy i'm like trust fund (laughs) (laughs) are there things because your dad is in his 80s now right he's uh 79 79 so and he's still pretty with it yeah are there things that you want to go ahead and get out of him and to know before it's lost i asked him about these pens and what these pens and pencils and he didn't know and did he have any any insight um you know, it was kind of interesting. He gave me as much information as he could about his father again, because I've asked many times, yeah. uh, and it took about forty minutes. Yeah. Wow. An yeah. entire life. It's yeah, and a and a life that wow. that spawned a lot of ch- well, four children, and more, and and all those children had children, and I mean, his legacy is luckily it, it, the the nice thing about if you take some kids that grew up with parents that weren't loved the kids end up in this current situation because there are more resources with therapy and things you can grow and you can learn and you can actually end up being a more sensitive person because you can relate to the pain of other people so it's almost like good that his father passed away sadly because i wouldn't want to be part of that Mm. there are a lot of wealthy families in this country where that shit persists forever like and no one tells anybody and that's like the trump situation like where you just end up with generation after generation of lonely narcissists who who don't know their parents and there's definitely something about and i always think about it there's something about americans not knowing where they're from that makes america lonely Mm. and makes americans lonely and it makes them want success because they feel like that's going to feel like love. Mm. And it's because many of them, almost anybody, if you ask where they're from, they say, oh, vaguely, they say, like, I think French or, you know what I mean? I think, like, Irish, I guess. But but no, like, do you know, I mean, I guess 23 and Me and shit like that will tell you some <laughs> stuff if the NSA doesn't kidnap you and put you on a black site. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I'm not willing to take the risk to find out, like, where specifically in France I was from. <laughs> oh, I was from Dijon, France. Wait, who's this with the machine guns? Yeah. Uh, you went on Huffington Post. Come yeah. with us. I love the way I think. I think, like, the most dangerous leftists go on Huffington Post. <laughs> um, that's what I'm like. I want that to happen. That like, site is terrible. It's, like, loads so slowly. I go on there all the time. Um, Sad. <laughs> so the pens you don't have in your possession in California, do Mm-mm. you think you'll take them back with you or you leave them here when you go back to L.A.? For the purposes of this podcast, which would you prefer? <laughs> I just, whatever the, <laughs> I mean, you know, whatever the audience answer is. I think... I will probably leave them here only because I think I, I'm aware of them. 
Let me put it yeah. this way. They don't mean nothing to me. Yeah. We don't have a lot of yeah. this man. We hear, we have a lot of this man. Actually, let's put it that way. We have a lot, but we get very little. <laughs> We've heard about this man forever because my father keeps going over it like it's a cold case. <laughs> but, it, but it is. Yeah, that's what I mean. It, it is. It really is. But, you know, when you hear that litigated for your whole life, you are like, when do I get to be talked about? Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing. That's a whole, actually, I just, just stumbled onto that. But that's a big thing, is the hangover from family dysfunction often takes up all the room that's supposed to be for the kids. Mm. So my father spent his whole life talking about this, all the horrible things that happened at his dinner table. And in the meantime, I'm like, when do I get to have my life? Yeah. But people who are victims of trauma and don't know how to get out of it, that's where I'm trying to forgive. I do forgive. Yeah. That he, it doesn't surprise me that he would talk endlessly about this, but it doesn't help me any either right. because he was talking about that when he was supposed to be at my little league game, right? And he was too depressed to go to the little league game, so he he told me to my face that the little league games he wasn't going to go because they were boring. He didn't have any manners. He had never wow. been taught right. that you could hurt a kid's feelings. He didn't know anything like that. Yeah, he was raised and fed and even wealthy, but he didn't have any emotional skills, and that just. It just makes it, it makes it hard because if you have a kid who's a teenager and he gets hurt, you can imagine he would talk about it probably forever, you know, and never know like it was someone else's turn. Yeah. Like it's my turn to talk about my trauma, right. which is from you talking about your trauma. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, absolutely. So. Absolutely. So I, I think I'm going to leave the pens here only because pens and pencils, <laughs> only because. Pen and pencil. Pen and pencil. All right, listen, I'm going to tell one more time. So it's like one pen that looks like a calligraphy <laughs> pen, so I never used it because who the hell uses those? I don't even use a pen anyway. And then a pencil, and I've always hated automatic pencils. Like, they suck. Like, do you use them? No, I use a, the wind-up kind. What is that? <laughs> the kind you sharp. I'm like, the kind you sharp. Oh, regular <laughs> wind-up. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's probably from some childhood <laughs> shit. Um, so, God, who called... <laughs> I come from a long line of people who called them wind-up <laughs> pencils. Um, so, yeah, so this pencil and pen will probably stay with my dad because I would. I think I'll end up having it. I'm aware of it, but I will lose it or do something dumb with it. I just feel like it's safer in my dad's yeah. drawer. I know it's there. It meant something to me. But, you know, it's definitely weird when someone gives you something and says, like, basically, I think I'm supposed to give this to you. Yeah. And it's about, it's from my father who I didn't really know, yeah. even though I hung out with him all the time. Or, yeah. you know, or he's in the house. What do you want to happen to those pens when you die? Or that pen and When pencil? I die? Yeah. First of all, I'm never going to die. <laughs> because you stop drinking and you go on hikes. Oh, yeah. And I never <laughs> eat food from Juggalos. Um, so, <laughs> I, yeah, I only eat health food, like M&M's. <laughs> Bootleg M&M's made by Trader Joe's. Like, I can't even, that's... So no, I'm 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 thinking that I would give them to hmm, maybe somebody's nephew or something or I don't know. Yeah, I mean, have you thought about that? I mean, are these some of your when you think of like prized possessions? Are these part of your prized possessions? No. Okay. Because I can't get I can't like I don't my way of moving on is to I I realize I have to separate myself from this dissection of this family mm. it's not important mm -hmm. i mean it's it's really not it's taken on such importance and it's just not it's like my therapy and my sobriety have everything to do with like stopping investing in that story yeah 
or stopping trying to figure it out. It has nothing to do with me. It really doesn't. Like, I can respect my father more, knowing where he's coming from with it. Yeah. But this set of <laughs> writing utensils, it represents a complicated thing that I'm grateful to have it. I love objects because they place. This man was real. He really used these. They actually have signs of wear. I mean, I asked my father. My mother asked my father, actually, did he really use them? He's like, oh, yeah, he did. So these were his. But because of Catholicism and alcoholism and repressed emotion, they don't come with much else. Yeah. They don't come with much of him. And even the people closest to him really can't give me any information about him. Yeah. Except for, except for he was rich. You know? So I love them because they're beautiful. And I also love them because I like old stuff. And I like them because they have my initials on them. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's, it's, and I wish I had kids. If I had kids, I'd totally give them to them. I think it's neat. And you know what? If I gave it to a, someone younger than me or some, so I don't have a kid, so I haven't ruled it out. I mean, I want, <laughs> I'm only 50, so who knows? You know, maybe 50 is the new 40. I mean, 40? I, my, <laughs> my dad was 55 when I was born. Okay, so, so yeah, years. so I'm probably gonna have kids. So when I give, when I give, I'll give them these. I would gladly, I would feel better about giving these to my kids. Yeah, they are a little too fraught for me. Let's put it that way, to be fun. But I think they're neat, and I think that I love objects because we are in the present, and we can't go back. The past is just a really just an imaginary thing, except for objects, which prove it existed. And that's why I'm obsessed with old stuff, because it's proof that the past existed, because otherwise we can't go back to it. Hey guys, thanks so, so much for listening. You can find Chris on Twitter at The Crofton Show, Instagram at Chris underscore Crofton, and look for his Advice King columns at NashvilleScene.com. Be on the lookout also for his new podcast, Cold Brew Got Me Like. It really means a lot to me when I get emails from listeners about how a particular episode has resonated with you. So please keep doing that. You can find me on Instagram at memento story, one word, story is spelled with an I. And if you have an object from someone who has passed you'd like to share, please send me a message and let me know. As always, thanks to We Own This Town, Michael Eads, and Ryan Briegel for the original music. We will be back in two weeks, I promise, with our next episode of Memento Story. Stay safe.